The deck under my tent made a solid, more normal-feeling floor. I'd covered it with those rubber rug pads that locked together. It was soft on my feet. I had a small heater running on propane, warming up the camping space. It was an 8 by 10 foot tent. I'd even stuck this old rocking chair and a little mirrored table in it where I kept my girly things. My bed was an air mattress and a foam topper and a set of thick, soft blankets and pillows. I used lanterns back then. I didn't have access to electricity yet, but I liked it. It felt real, not that sterile lighting that comes from fluorescent overheads. I've always hated overheads. This was darker, smaller pockets of real firelight, warm, and it all floated me into this headspace where I felt more alive and relaxed at the same time. The cold outside made everything on the mountain really still, really quiet. My torches out on the exposed side of the deck lit up a small path that I'd made through the woods, and I could see through it and down toward the water. I'd wrapped stringed lights around trees and I'd put out solar lights all the way down the trail. It was a little fairy wonderland, something out of another dimension to me. It didn't even feel like I was living in the normal world anymore. Even time felt different out here. Mama's guitar was up against the inside wall of the tent. A friend of mine had just left from visiting me. He'd come down from New York to see this strange little campsite I'd moved into. I had let him play her old acoustic. He played like he was in a trance while we watched raccoons peek out of their little hiding places and go looking for trouble after the sun went down. But now I was alone again and listening to that last bit of music that I could listen to on my phone before the battery died. I had it sitting in a metal camping cup so that it amplified the sound and I could hear it better. It had this metallic reverb to it from the cup that made it sound like an old radio. The sky was big. I was so small. In the middle of this vast space of trees and stars, and I stared up at it until I found that special place where they touched each other. I felt so free, so unbothered and content, pleasantly exhausted from doing physical things all day in the woods, always trying to do more to make my little camping site comfortable. Being tired this way was a nice feeling because it was different than that exhaustion you feel when it's your mind and you've been mentally strained and stressed. I sat down on the edge of the little deck with a cold beer that had been tucked in between some rocks in the cold water all day. The can was freezing on my fingers and I got this chill when I opened it. I looked up at the stars, I made a wish, and decided to finish my drink inside the tent where it was warm. The Appalachian woods, They feel as supernatural as they are ancient, with their witchy, black, tangled branches and that eerie crescent moon that always hangs in the fog. It's pure magic. It inspires stories, songs, and legends. And I live here, right in the heart of it all.
This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, a nature lover, and an earthbound muse. Today I'm going to talk about how I stay comfortable in a tiny home in the middle of the woods with no running water in the wintertime. If you've followed my social media accounts, you know by now that I left New York in March 2018 to come live in the woods and start my life over again from scratch. I started off in a summer tent in a patch of poplar trees by a creek, and I lived that way for eight months while I converted this portable building shell into a livable cabin. And about nine months ago, I cleaned out the old haunted house that's been in our family and standing for 96 years now. And so I get to spread out and use it too. The old house had electricity, so I got myself a satellite connection and hooked it up into cyberspace. And now I use that old house for a working art studio and a full kitchen, refrigeration and pantry storage. And I stay out in the little cozy cabin during the winter and in my off time. In today's podcast, I'm talking about how I manage to stay comfortable during the winter with no indoor plumbing in a tiny home, the cabin, in the woods of western North Carolina, where the weather gets extreme. The area I live in is a damp kind of cold in the winter months. This place is wet all year long. And that wet weather takes a certain type of lifestyle routine, if you're going to be living so close to it. The summers here are hot and humid, and the winters get really bitter cold. The mountain can be ruthless, and a waterway runs right through my yard. That waterway swells whenever there's a hurricane or a a tropical storm. It floods massively. This used to happen about once every 10 years, but over the past three, the earth has shifted, it's tilted on its axis, the weather has changed, and now this place is seeing the young river rise twice a year. It eats away the land around it, and in order to live here, I've had to make some big changes in my routines and my gear. Now I'm focusing here on living during the winter months, which is totally different than the easier summers. So I figured out really quick to pay a lot of attention to my feet. This is one of the biggest secrets to staying comfortable outside or anywhere off the grid. I learned to keep boxes, not little drawers, but boxes of clean, thick socks ready and available night and day. Just walking out in the grass and the mud of Appalachia, one walk to the mailbox and back even, made my feet wet, and I'd be changing my socks multiple times a day until I got waterproof shoes. The shoes I wear now are steel-toed women's work shoes, and they're waterproof. I have rubber boots, too, and I have a pair of those little swim shoes, the ones that you just slip on your feet if you want to go roaming around in rocky, sandy water. Because gathering the water in a creek sometimes requires you to step down into it a little bit. And not all natural springs are easy things to get to. I soak my feet at night if I've had a really hard day. And I use a lot of moisturizer. I take care of my feet. Because walking through muddy, sloppy, wet, and cold grounds with insufficient foot care is a very bad idea. 
and it will be the first thing to make you really uncomfortable, which will lead to not wanting to do anything. So in order to keep moving and working, paying attention to these little things like foot gear is important. You have to keep your feet happy and dry and protected. This became very helpful after I learned just how much my feet were taking a beating almost immediately, digging ditches, reverting water away from living areas, moving stones around in the creek, carrying heavy cinder blocks and feeling my normal shoes sinking into mud and briars and falling apart in a month. You use foot muscles that you never knew you had, so this became one of my top priorities. Heating in the winter is a serious decision in tiny homes, cabins, campsites, or natural shelters during the winter months. I'm alone. I don't have a lot of money to waste and toss around, and I only have so much time during the day because I'm busy doing so many other things. And all of these things made me decide on something a little more immediate than a wood-burning stove. Now, I love burning wood. I love fire. It's very warm. But this 5'4", 115-pound woman with bone-related birth defects and chronic pain was not about to set herself up to be chopping wood every day and feeding logs into a, a stove constantly. I didn't have the time or the strength. So the first thing I tried was a propane-fueled wall heater. And it worked great, but it really got expensive. After calculating the cost and then having to lug propane tanks in the snow by myself all last winter, I decided to try this year with electric heat. And so far, it's been cheaper, and it's so much easier. I just hit a button. I spend about $120 a month on heat if I run it every single day and night. And really, it's actually cheaper than that because I'm calculating all my electricity usage per day. I use about $4 a day in electricity. So the heater I use, it's a Lasco ceramic tower heater with a thermometer on it. And it's the best portable heater I've ever bought. Now, I don't work for them. This is not a commercial, but I love this heater. Keeps me toasty. And I'm in a fully insulated tiny house with carpeting. The first thing I did as soon as the company brought me my portable building to convert was to load it up with insulation everywhere and get it up off the ground. So I had it raised and then I built a deck in front of it with steps. So it's off the ground and it's fully insulated. The big house is trickier. I don't have the money to renovate it. But I do use it during the day as a workspace. It's got internet access with a satellite and plenty of electricity. So I keep the few rooms in it that I do use during the winter very warm. I have plastic over the windows and any thin or damaged walls. And I've completely shut them off from the rest of the house. And those two rooms, my art studio upstairs and the kitchen I made, so much plastic. They look totally dextered out. <laughs> Anybody visiting me would think I was setting up a kill room. But they stay warm while I'm working. And now, of course, the biggest inconvenience of all, living in the wilderness in winter, is no indoor plumbing. The summers are easy. 
I just run out every morning and get water from the spring creek. But it's cold in the winter, and getting down to the creek becomes a really big deal. I haven't done it yet, but I plan on digging a small ditch to the creek and laying a PVC pipe and a filter in it and hooking that up to a hand pump, which is fine for me. It keeps me from having to hike all the way down into the water and dodge rocks. But for now, what I do is I stockpile water. I get ready for it every two weeks or so. I get my boots on. I get a wheelbarrow to carry everything. I dress nice and warm. And I'll go and fill and stock water in the back porch area so everything's indoors. The back porch is enclosed. It's really the well room. There's an actual well in there. A hand-dug well, dug during the Depression, lined in stone and everything. And if it really gets nasty outside and I don't feel like doing much, that well water is still fine for cleaning. I don't think I'd drink it simply because it's not lined. It doesn't have a liner. It's an old school well. But the water's clear. I've already tested it and looked at it, and it's perfectly usable for cleaning. Never take any water source for granted when you're out in the wild. Water is gold, especially if you're off the grid, which I was in the beginning, but not anymore. And if I really wanted to, all I'd have to do at this point is hook up a UV filter to the well and put a pump in there. So now I knew where my water sources were, the spring creek full of natural springs jutting out of the mountain. I live on top of a big aquifer. It's huge. It runs up under the house, the cabin, and now under the field and below the old hill. So knowing I had water, I had a way to use it a little more conveniently in the kitchen. And then, of course, think of a bathroom solution. So first I'll talk about the easy one, the kitchen. (laughs) I have all the water I'll use stockpiled in the house already, a separate area for drinking water that's already been filtered and I use a dry sink for cleaning. Dry sinks are actually pretty amazing. They're meditative to use. They're easy. You warm up your water in a large tea kettle. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take much. It gets so hot that it warms up a washing bowl of cold water pretty quickly. And I use natural-based soaps and dish liquids. Because I throw my dirty dishwasher outside after I'm done, and I don't want to pollute the yard. I'm living right on top of nature. I have to be responsible, or I'll end up polluting myself, making myself sick. So it's a very conscious thing. You experience it all on a pretty intense and immediate level. You learn exactly how much water you use, how much garbage you produce. You're conscious of where all your leftovers go. You naturally start to pay more attention to things like ingredients, in everything, not just your food. And now I'm going to talk about the outhouse. (laughs) I'm fully aware of what a weird subject this is for most people. But I've come across some people who are really interested in it and how I do it. So if you're interested in living out in the wilderness or off the grid entirely, or you just want to know how to set up a hunting cabin or a vacation campsite, I don't know, Maybe you're just curious as to how I do it for some weird reason. I'm going to explain it, and I won't be crass. I use a compost toilet. I built it. 
You can find fancy, very pretty compost toilets on the market, but they're extremely expensive, thousands of dollars. And it basically works the same way as a simple box one that you can build yourself. I added this to a little outhouse that I built, which is just a little shelter using antique barn wood from our old barn and a tin roof and a door. Well, I haven't actually put the door on it yet. I live out here alone and who cares? I have a shower curtain over the the front right now. It's just me. I don't mind. It's actually kind of nice. And this outhouse has a wood floor. It's raised up on another deck. You step up onto a, a separate deck where the outhouse sits. It's got open windows. It gets plenty of air circulation. It's really cute. And the toilet box itself is just a wooden box with a hole cut in the top lid. And that lid is hinged on the back of the, the wood box. And on top of that, I fastened down a real toilet seat. It's very comfortable to sit on. Inside the box sits a replaceable six-gallon bucket with a handle and a lid that can be taken out and emptied far, far away from my living space in a compost area. Yes, I have to hike out to it. It's not close by. So I close up my bucket, I put it in a wheelbarrow, and I drive it out to the compost area. Now, after about two years, it has become this pure organic dirt with no bad odor, no toxins, and it can be spread out on the mountain and it feeds new trees and landscaping. And this system, when it's done right, is cleaner and better smelling than a septic system. You just do your business and you use a cover material to cover it up. Kind of like a big kitty litter box. And that cover material is important. Now, in my case, I use a mixture of mostly pine and sawdust and a little bit of cedar. A lot of people won't use cedar because it takes much longer to break down. And, you know, the whole idea of a compost toilet is to break it down as quick as possible. So I don't use a lot of cedar. I just use enough to repel insects and spiders. It keeps everything away. It keeps the place smelling fresh and nice. I also add a few drops of cedarwood essential oil. So if you go to my outhouse, it smells like you're sitting in a cedar tree. There's plenty of air circulation, and you're right out there in nature with nobody around. It's quite nice. So the biggest difference with living this way, with using these systems of cleaning, going to the john, is that there's just a little bit more work involved. Not too much more, just more. But that in itself is something I happen to like because it forces me to get up and move, go outside, get exercise. I'm not sedentary, and I'm getting plenty of sun and fresh air, even in the wintertime. It has an amazing effect on your mentality. And once you have these things in place, once it's already set up and you've developed this routine and a schedule, everything else is a breeze. You clean up more often because it's a smaller space. And winter keeps us indoors and out of the cold for longer periods of time, so we make bigger messes inside. And you'll spend some time once in a while stocking water and taking your laundry somewhere else to be done. 
I go to my mother's. And for bathing and showering in the wintertime, I just run up the road to her house. During the summers, though, I'll actually take outdoor showers and bathe in the creek. It's a wonderful experience. I love it. But in the wintertime, when it's cold, I treat my mother's like the local cafe. In the mornings, I'll go sit and have coffee with her and then take a shower and then visit the chickens, you know, get some fresh eggs. That's another part of living with very little. My mother and I have 12 chickens in a little shed that we converted to a a chicken house with an outdoor run and everything. The whole idea is to eventually stop relying so much on external sources and get more self-reliant as time goes on. And you learn more. I'm doing it slowly and as I can. This doesn't happen overnight. One of the things I can't stress enough about living outside or camping life or nomadic life, tiny home living, however you want to do it, is that developing bonds and relationships with people who are nearby is something you might want to consider. Even if you live alone, you don't have to be all alone. Build those community bonds. And when you have better relationships with people around you, you always have help. You always have support. Whenever we get a snowstorm through here or a blizzard, the first thing that I'm going to see early the next morning after the snow stopped falling is this little elderly man on his tractor. He's really proud of that tractor and he loves showing it off. He's always going down the road with his scraper to scrape the road so that everybody in the neighborhood can get out. He'll clear people's driveways. He stops by my place, often asking me if I need anything. So although I'm technically out here by myself, I don't really feel like I'm all by myself, even in this COVID isolation age. Another thing that makes the winter easier is that I do stockpile food. I have a pantry full of canned and dried foods. I have food in the freezer. I have food in sealed buckets. I have canisters of coffee and tea, and so I don't really have to leave that often. This place has almost everything I need. The water comes from a spring that never freezes, where I then filter it and store it in containers, and if the power goes out, I'm prepared for that too already. The idea is to prepare, prep, prep, prep. Make sure you are never, ever caught needing too much if one resource goes out on you. Resources are the key things to comfort. You can live without power, indoor plumbing, and TV, as long as you have things that are going to make that easier on you, like batteries, propane, fuel or wood-fired heaters, camping stoves, candles. I always keep multiple first aid kits. And I make my own medicines. I really believe in first aid kits. I have a compact one that I can take with me if I'm out and hiking or on trails. I keep reflective blankets and emergency ponchos. And I love flashlights. I even have a headlamp flashlight. I keep so many batteries and battery-operated lights. And although I do have an electric range in the old house, I also have a camping stove that uses propane. I have shovels and sand and salt ready to go before it even hints that it's going to snow. 
and I'm always out keeping pathways that I use regularly, clear and free. I have lanterns, matches, backpacks, and knives, and aluminum foil. You can use aluminum foil for so many things. One of the things that makes a very simple life like this more comfortable is to have a whole bunch of soft linens, towels, blankets, pillows, all that nice cozy stuff. Because as long as you can wrap yourself up and rest comfortably in warm, clean socks, simple life is great. And keep things for recreation and hobbies that don't require a lot of electricity, if any at all. Books. Keep books and puzzles and old journals and pens and pencils, drawing tools and battery-operated cameras and radios and CD players. I have a battery-operated television with a radio built into it. I love it. I combat dark day depression by keeping luxury foods and drinks hidden away in my pantry for those times when I just want to feel good. Living out in the woods in winter, you don't want to just survive. You want to relax and you want to feel good. That's the whole point of living out here, right? I actually keep champagne and chocolate hidden in the back of my pantry. I mean, I don't see the point in saving things like that for New Year's Eve. I pop open a bottle every once in a while just for kicks, and I'll sit back with a good book on a snowy night. Things like this are really important to me because I like to feed my emotions during the winter while I'm out here alone in the coldest months of the year. I want to have things that I enjoy have fun things to do when I can't get out much. I like taking pictures and forcing my imagination to work by looking for weird corners and lighting up closets, things that we don't normally look at inside our own homes. I like reading those real physical books that I can hold in my hand. I like building pit fires outside just for the heck of it. I like opening wine and listening to music by candlelight and conjuring up some spiritual epiphanies. People such as myself and others who love nature this much and want to be right out in the middle of it, we go to all this trouble for a reason. Freedom to experience this peace and contentment on a very deep emotional level. This kind of life sits on a profound place for me. There comes a time in all our lives when those common, everyday, normal state of affairs just don't turn us on anymore, and we need more, something spiritually richer. And one of the places that I've found that was in uprooting my life whenever I found it getting too rat-racy. I get more satisfaction out of exploring the languages of wildlife when they're out and active and learning from them than I get from trying to please a boss who I butt heads with on a traditional kind of job. I'd much rather have less money in my pocket and more peace in my heart. I'd rather get lost in the woods discovering some kind of new epiphany that changes my life. And I've found that kind of thing, living out in nature like some kind of crazy sage person who you have to hike three days to get to, probably sitting on the edge of a cliff somewhere. <laughs> I know it's a little insane to give up so many conveniences. 
But I've realized that we've steered ourselves towards living with so many conveniences that it starts to feel suffocating to me. I'm, I'm actually suffocated by too much convenience. I don't feel like I'm touching or experiencing anything real anymore. And so I came out here. No more of the distractions that I don't want. No noise pollution. Just the songs of the wild, those ambient sounds of crickets and frogs at night. Touching the raw, real ground, as cold as it may be, as muddy and soft as it is, at least I can feel that real ground and understand what that feels like under my feet. I love to go barefoot. Sometimes I'll even do it for about two minutes in the winter if it's mild outside. Just to feel that coolness when my skin touches the yard, it's almost this magnetic attraction and the chill shocks me back into feeling grounded and alive. The roots that wind up through the ground and stretch into trees and seem to reach the sun. The Milky Way at night in that giant exposed sky. The sound of the water babbling and moving by me in the dark. Cold, still, everlastingly peaceful. Mind, body, and spirit all in one place. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I want to thank my favorite people and supporters of this show, Bruce Presson, Chris Nolan, William Bishop, Robin Umber, Sheila McGregor, Yvonne Ragland, and Arnold Bloom. I want to thank all the people who have helped me via the PayPal tip jar this week, those of you I know personally, and those anonymous ones that I cherish and wonder about. Thank you all so much. Stay warm, stay safe, and have a beautiful weekend.